As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. With another very good guest this week. Hello, I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is episode 54, and with the NFL in full playoff mode, I thought we would talk a little football this week, and my guest is Dan Horde, who is the radio voice of the Cincinnati Bengals. He has just completed his seventh season as their play-by-play guy on the radio, and he is also the radio voice of the University of Cincinnati Bearcats football and basketball. He is in his 16th season in that role. But today I want to talk a lot about uh, football and the NFL. What is it like to broadcast an NFL game? What is life like in the NFL? We have some amusing stories. We have some travel nightmares. It's really going to be a fun episode. And if the name Dan Horde sounds a little familiar to you, Simpson fans, it's because remember the one episode that I actually uh, do a voice in The Simpsons? It's an episode called Dance and Homer that my partner David Isaacs and I wrote. And I play the voice of the minor league Springfield announcer, the Isotopes announcer, and I use the name Dan Horde. And the reason why is because Dan was my broadcast partner the first year I ever did baseball, which was 1988, when we were both with the Syracuse Chiefs in the International League. And during the course of the interview, we're going to talk a little bit about that and some of the funny stories, some of the strange things that happened to us along the way. So even if you're not a sports fan, it's going to be amusing. And if you are a sports fan, and I know there's a lot of football fans out there who only follow the NFL during the playoff season, this is the episode for you. Episode 54, let's get it going right now. Hollywood and the Vine. As opposed to baseball, where they play a game every day, in the NFL, you play once a week, so every game is like a big event, and that must be kind of fun. Love that part of it. That's one of my favorite parts of the game, particularly in the NFL, because... When you arrive at the stadium, I mean, it's like the Roman gladiators, you know. I <laughs> uh-huh. mean, the, the hometown fans are out for blood. The, and I, I travel into the stadium on the team bus. So we're being mooned. We're, you know, <laughs> their grandmothers flipping you the bird. And the players are always amused. And people are you know, taking their cell phones and shooting video of it and stuff. Right. So that really is a, a fun part of the job. And, you know, the build-up to it all week long and and everything else. Uh, Everywhere you go in Cincinnati, do people stop you and go, what's wrong with the Bengals? Uh, This year, yes, unfortunately. (laughs) But two years ago, they were really good. So, you know, two Uh years ago, it's like, are we going to win the Super Bowl? Is Dalton going to be the MVP? So that comes with the territory. So going to the different stadiums, I mean, it used to be where if you were a broadcaster, you were pretty much... 
on the 50-yard line or maybe the 40. Yeah. But now with these new stadiums and everybody wants, you know, these luxury boxes, yeah. I was in the new Dallas Cowboy Stadium and they showed me the visiting radio booth, and you were in a different time zone. You were like in the corners, like maybe the worst vantage point of seeing a game ever. Yeah. How do you call games from these horrible vantage points? Poorly. That's how I call games <laughs> from those vantage points. But yeah, so here's the rule the newer the stadium, the more likely the radio booth to suck. Uh-huh. So network TV is still guaranteed having a spot at the 50-yard line. Right, the amount and of money they have they one in uh, Dallas, too. Yeah. Every stadium, they are right. guaranteed. It's written in. So, you know, Nance right. and Romo are at the 50. Yeah, well, that's where they're making all their money Correct. is off of Correct. TV. But, yeah. but radio guys are now, if it's a new stadium, you're likely to be in a terrible spot, and you can't complain about it on the air because nobody wants to hear, well, I botched that call because the <laughs> booth sucks. Right. Um, but the other thing is, it's generally the same for the home announcer. So the Dallas booth you referred to, you're right uh-huh. next to the Cowboys guy. It's not like they put Cowboy guy at the 50 and visiting guy right. is in the end zone. Right. Poor Brad Sham is right there with you, the legendary voice of the Cowboys. The one exception to that is Washington. So when they built the FedEx field, the radio booths are in a terrible location. But I guess the Redskin guy said, forget it, I can't do the game. So they took a luxury box at the 50 uh-huh. and retrofitted it to become a radio booth. Wow. So several years ago, the Bengals played in Washington. And nine days later, the University of Cincinnati played a game there against Virginia Tech where Cincinnati was the home team. So I was like, do I get the booth? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> so it was great. The game ended like on a touchdown pass with 10 seconds to go. And I was able to call it because I had the good booth. There was a game earlier in the season in Buffalo where it was a blizzard. And I have no idea how the announcers are able to call that. Have you ever had to do a game in a blizzard or a monsoon? Or there was that uh, Patriots-Falcons game earlier last year in the fog. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had anything like that? Not yet. I grew up near Buffalo, so I've seen plenty of games like that. But I have not done a game quite like that. I did a college game a couple of years ago. Uh, The University of Houston was building a new stadium. And while they were building their new one, the, the college team played at the local soccer stadium. Okay. And it's a smaller stadium, and they didn't really have a traditional press box. So you were in, I guess we were in a luxury box, but it was more or less at ground level and way down on one end of the field. So on the far end of the field, you weren't high enough to see any yard markers. Oh. <laughs> so that was a slight problem. So, you know, other than an official throwing up his arms to indicate touchdown, it was strictly guesswork. There was no video monitor to help. I mean, you were doing your best to try to kind of gauge how close are they to the goalpost, but uh, I'm but sure it was, was wildly no, inaccurate. There was no television. You just make it up, right? And I did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, you know, for you, they were on the 16-yard line. They might have been on the 30, but, yeah. you know, yeah, for your a, listeners. What a run! And then you'd look up at the scoreboard, second and eight. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I remember Dan and I know each other from when we both broadcast Syracuse Chiefs baseball in 1988. We'll get back to football in a second, but I remember you and I did uh, a couple of games in Mile High Stadium in Denver, Yeah, and that, of course, was a, a 
field and a stadium that was configured for football, and there was no real baseball press box. So what they did is they took a luxury box and they just made it a press box. But there were like four or five rows of seats behind us which they sold <laughs> at the time. Remember yeah, that? I do. And people were telling us to shut up. <laughs> you know? And we're saying, well, we're we broadcasting. We thought we would win them over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not so much. The other thing I remember about that, though, was that we were completely removed from the other main press box yes. where the writers and right. the information mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, good luck getting a score, an out-of-town score. This was pre-internet. Right. So, you know, we were just like in a separate universe for right. that three-game series. Okay, one final Denver anecdote, and then we'll get back to football. Uh, we are playing a game there one night, and it was one of those marathon 15-inning games, and there was like a two-hour time difference. So if it was 2 o'clock in the morning in Denver, it's 4 o'clock in the morning back home in Syracuse. And... Uh, my partner says, gee, I wonder how many people are listening. <laughs> and you said, I tell you what, if you call the station, we'll give you free tickets. And I'm waving them off like, no, don't do this. <laughs> this is a really, really bad uh, idea. We did not get <laughs> anybody. <laughs> All right. Getting back to football. So, so give me an idea of what it's like in the booth. Uh, you have your, you know, analyst. Uh, do you have spotters, statisticians, masseuses? What do you have uh, there in the booth with you normally? No masseuses. No masseuses. But we have all of the other things that you mentioned. So uh, our booth looks this way. All the way to the left, you've got my spotter. Okay. And me. And the spotter is somebody who has a board with all of the names it's and my numbers. Board. So I create that board. The okay. announcer creates that board. Right. But he is going to help me out with two things. And this is different for every announcer. Every sure. announcer has a different desire from the spotter. But I'm looking for two things. I want to know what running back is in the game before the ball is snapped. And if it's a spotter that I can trust and know that he knows what he's doing, I like to know how many tight ends are on the field before the snap. I can pretty much recognize anything else. Okay. And then after the play is finished, I want him to point out who made the tackle. Because as the play-by-play announcer, you're following the ball. The quarterback takes the snap, he hands it off to such and such, or he throws it to this guy. That's the primary thing that you are trying to identify. And when the tackle is made, sometimes you can see who it is. Other times it's a scrum and you can't. Right. But the spotter can really help out that way. And then they also help if there's a crazy play and this guy that, you know, you don't really see it that well live, but he might be able to pick out when the guy climbs from the bottom of the pile. He recovered the fumble or something like that. So those are the things that the spotter helped me out with. Okay. Um, Now, on the Bengals home games, I have a guy named Dave Kelly who spots for me. And he also, he's so good at it that now he does a college game every week for ESPN. But the things that he notices during the course of a game are incredible. Mm. So he's feeding this information based on these things that he sees during the course of the game. Right. And it's an incredible resource 
that makes me sound good. So Dave Kelly, thank you. Okay. <laughs> so and then so we've got Spotter, me, then a stat man that sits in between my, me and my color commentator, and then he's the furthest guy to the right. Okay. Now, when you go on the road, though, do you travel with these guys or do you pick up local guys? If it's a close enough road trip for our home crew to drive or get there easily, they may go because we'll pay them, obviously, mm-hmm. but they get paid by the game. Right. But for most road trips, we will hire two guys in that city. And most NFL teams will have a couple of guys that do this for the visiting radio okay. team. So, for so example, they're pretty competent. Nine times out of ten, right. they don't confident. say what's a tight end. <laughs> nine times out of ten, yeah. So when we go to Baltimore, we get the same guys every year, and they're great, and they become friends of ours, and I email back and forth, and it's great, right? But every now and again, two guys will walk into the booth three minutes before kickoff and go like, "Hey, what do you need me to do? I've never done this before. Isn't this cool? Uh-huh. That food in the press box was great, you know." Like, Great. It's a playoff game against Houston, and these two guys have never done it before. So that happens. Now, do you watch the game through binoculars? Do you uh, call it off the TV? Uh, Is your eyesight good enough? Are you close enough that you're able to just call it with the naked eye? Since I got these glasses. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Prior to that, there was some guesswork going on. So it kind of depends, getting back to what we started with, on the booth. So if it's a a booth where I am watching the game from a great distance and these are ants running around on the field, then I have special wide-angle binoculars that I use that obviously magnify what I'm looking at, but not so much that I can't see all 22 guys. Right. These are the Bushnell Extra Wides. Uh Very common in the football broadcasting world, (laughs) right? And honestly... I've gone to football games since as a fan and brought them because they're great. It's just uh, you're still looking at the whole field, but about a double the power of your normal eye. Uh, But if it's a good press box, then I don't need to do that. If it's close to the 50, it's relatively close to the field, then I'm just looking through my uh, bifocals. You talked about some weird plays. Have you ever, I mean, you've been doing the Bengals for seven years. You've been doing the University of Cincinnati for like, what, 16? 16 years. Okay, so you've done a football game. You've been to the rodeo a couple of times. Has there ever been like some play where somehow the quarterback faked you out or something, and all of a sudden these guys are like running around out there, and you're going, I have no (laughs) idea what's happening. Well, so, the, you know, the college game in particular right now, so much of it is this zone read stuff with a quarterback where the quarterback is going to take the ball, stick it in the running back's gut uh-huh. as he is staring at the defensive end. And if the defensive end reacts thinking that it's a handoff, the quarterback pulls the ball out of the guy's gut and runs. Right. If he reads that defensive end and the defensive end is like waiting for him to run, then he goes ahead and hands it off. So it is hard to see. So, yeah, I've botched that many times. Uh And then you just hope that it's not an 80-yard run. (laughs) You know, it's one thing to say he hands it off. Nope, he kept it. And if he gains five, you don't feel terrible. But if he goes 34 for the touchdown, you're like, gosh. Why are they all cheering down there? (laughs) (laughs) I really wish he hadn't been that good. So that does happen from time to time. I guess it's great when you're on Sunday night football or Monday night football because it means you're a team that's good enough that 
people give a crap. Um, do you have, you know, does Al Michaels and Joe Buck and Jim Nance and, you know, Sean McDonough, they, they come into the booth and, and they ask you some questions like, who are these guys? Huh? <laughs> well, if I know the guy, he will. And, I, I, you know, I know quite a few of the announcers after being in the league for a while. And with the, uh, you know, the radio guys of the teams that we play on a regular basis, many of those guys have become friends. So right. we'll talk during the week. Sure. I have Bengal shows that I do during the week that they come on and I'll go on their shows. So that is really a great resource to pick up information about their teams. Okay. But like Al Michaels, you know, you know Al Michaels? Al does not come into the booth. Uh-huh. No, I wish he did, <laughs> just for the photo. But no, Al's got plenty of resources, so uh, he does not come in and... Ask me for my thought on the backup left guard. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, to his peril. Uh, so now we're in the playoffs, and, and I know in the NHL, in hockey, they talk about there is a very distinctive difference in intensity between the regular season play and playoff hockey. Is that true in football, too? Absolutely. Uh-huh. It's like that in football, and not just for the playoffs, but a big game with a lot at stake, even at the end of the regular season, is like that. You can right. feel the difference. The hitting is more vicious. The intensity during the course of the week building up to kickoff is very noticeable. So, yes, big difference in football, just like hockey. And I guess to be on Monday night football or Sunday night football, since it is a national game, I'm sure the players are up a little bit more for that, too, because they know they're going to get a a national audience. Yeah, it's not uh, like what it was when we were kids, when there was one night game during the week and everybody watched Monday Night Football. Mm -hmm. So that was just an incredible experience. Right Now, every team is on Thursday Night Football once a year. Most teams are going to be on either Monday or Sunday. You know, the Patriots will be on both a bunch of times. Right. But uh, it's not quite what it was just because there's so much nationally televised nighttime football now. Have you done a game in Europe yet? Yeah, we played in London last year. And here's the funny thing about the game. So the Bengals played the Redskins last year in London. The game ended in a tie. And in the U.S., when the game ends in a tie, fans walk out pissed off. They're like, ah, I paid my money. It's a right, tie. Right. In London, everybody's like, oh, just like a soccer match. This was great. You know, <laughs> we love ties. <laughs> so <laughs> it's the only tie ever where everybody in the stands was happy. <laughs> How do you prepare for a game? Uh, it took a while for me to really kind of figure out what I needed to do because I do a college game on Saturday and an NFL game on Sunday. And that's right. a lot of names and numbers to uh-huh. get down. Now, I'm doing the University of Cincinnati every week and the Bengals every week. So those teams I've got down. Uh-huh. You know, I'm adding information. Yeah, during that the green of the guy, week. I remember <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, yeah Dalton, exactly. I remember What's that guy. What's the AJ stand for? Yeah. Uh, but so I've got two opponents that I've got to have down by the weekend. So right. I, I learned through experience and trying to figure it out my first year or two that Monday had to be reserved like all day Monday for working on my Bengals opponent. I want to have that team down by Tuesday morning because I'm going to work on a Bengals TV show on Tuesday and I need to have it locked in. Right. 
So that's Monday. So, Coach, uh, this Sunday when we play Jacksonville, no, we're playing Minnesota. <laughs> that's what I I'm got trying the to schedule avoid. wrong. Yeah. You sure about that, Coach? <laughs> uh, so that's Monday. And then Tuesday I do the same thing with the Cincinnati opponent. And if I get that stuff done on Monday and Tuesday, uh, I'm in good shape for the rest of the week because Wednesday I'm going to be doing a two-hour Bengals radio show. Thursday I'm going to do this University of Cincinnati coaches radio show. Friday, I'm going to do a three-hour Bengals radio show. So it's really hard to do a lot more prep once I'm doing these shows. Sure. So if I get all of that prep work down on Monday and Tuesday and then can just continue to add a little here and a little there during the course of the week, I find I'm in good shape. And by prep work, you mean uh, going over the notes, going over the statistics, watching game footage, I guess, through NFL.com or whatever. You can go back because the games are archived. So you can go back and watch a whole season. Well, I don't yeah. do that, but I do watch their previous game. And NFL.com has a great thing for broadcasters. It's a thing called Game Pass where you can watch any archived game. But they also do a condensed version. Uh-huh. So they basically, you see the play and then you see the next play. Yeah. So I can watch that opponent in like a half an hour, uh-huh. which is great. So the basics of preparing for the game are the names and numbers. You know, when uh, number 27 for the other team inter- intercepts a pass and start streaking down the sideline. Right. I can't be going, and uh, that guy, you know, <laughs> i got to have 27 memorized by Sunday. So uh, names and numbers to begin with, some basic biographical information, where they went to college, when they were drafted, what's their contract status. And then you're looking for, like, I, I try to find a couple of good nuggets on everybody. Those stories and things yeah, like that. a couple that. of good yeah. anecdotes, things that maybe aren't widely known, something that you don't hear every week on the broadcast. Um, and a tiny portion of that stuff will make it into a game. But you like to have it, just in case. And they don't let you watch practice, right? Uh, I can watch the first 25 minutes of practice, but that's it. Uh, During training camp, I can watch all of practice, and I do. But once the season begins, even though I'm employed by the Bengals, and so is my color commentator, we are members of the media, so we are under the same restrictions that everybody else is under. Do you get to know the players? I know in baseball, you know, you spend seven months with them, and they see you every day. They see you every week. Do you really get to know a lot of the players? I do. You don't get to know them quite the same way that you do in baseball. There's just something about baseball where it's a little more conversational. You're you're more likely Mm -hmm. to be in the locker room or in the clubhouse in baseball talking about their family or their alma mater or whatever. In football, the conversations tend to be more about football for whatever reason. I mean, there's some Bengals guys that I will you know, shoot the bull with. But for the most part, I'm in there almost every day. The locker room's open almost every day, asking them football-related questions. So they know me. What's a tight end? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, you know, we know each other, but it's not quite as friendly is the wrong word, but uh, conversational as it is in a baseball clubhouse. Now, do you get a chance to know any of the opposing players? You know, do you know Tom uh, Brady, you know, Aaron Rodgers? All no, these guys? the only guys that I really know are guys that played for the University of Cincinnati. Oh, okay. So those guys I get to know sure. well. Sure. Uh, with, the, with the opposing players, they may do a conference call 
with the Cincinnati media. So Tom Brady did this the last time the Bengals played the Patriots. Right. Where you get to ask him questions over a phone right. with a bunch of people sitting around this phone for right. 15 or 20 minutes. And I do that. And I, I think I asked Brady how he's getting younger every year, you know, the last time that... Oh, it's that guy. It's <laughs> <laughs> the younger yeah, guy. Do you have a Dorian Gray yeah. picture in your... So, uh, yeah, so that's about the only interaction that I'll get with the visiting players. Okay. When he was dating Bridget Moynihan, she used to work out in my gym, and sometimes during the off-season, he would come and work out in the gym. So it's, like, hard to believe, you know, you're a, an NFL announcer, and, and I know Tom Brady. <laughs> you know, I've spoken to Tom Brady. Uh, now, you mentioned that, you know, you do the University of Cincinnati, and those games are usually on Saturday, yeah. and, of course, Bengal games generally are on Sunday. But there must be some days where you're on the road somewhere with the Bearcats, yeah. and then you have to travel 3,000 miles to you know, meet up with the Bengals the next yeah. day. You have probably had a couple of, uh, of hairy travel experiences, haven't you? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. The most nerve-wracking day of my year every year is the day the NFL schedule comes out. Because at that point, I already have the University of Cincinnati schedule. That's going to come out before right. the NFL. Right. So I've got this on my planner. And I just know, okay, here it comes. How many weekends are going to suck? Right. <laughs> you know, just physically. <laughs> right. I mean, it's fun. I love the job. But there are some weekends where it is physically grueling to get from one to the other. Because I always say the first Bengals game that I miss is the last one I am ever asked to do. I've got to uh -huh. be there. Right. My contract stipulates kind of the order of uh, what I'm required to do. So a Bengals game trumps all. Uh -huh. Can't miss a Bengals game. I may have to miss a University of Cincinnati game right. once or twice a year. When they played in London, I couldn't do the game the day right. before. So right. that happens. But I can't miss a Bengals game. So, for example, earlier this year, the University of Cincinnati played on a Saturday in New Orleans against Tulane, and the Bengals played the next day in Jacksonville at 1 o'clock. Okay. So in college football, the game times don't come out sometimes until a week before. Oh, so that's right, like, and they change, yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. so it's not like you go, okay, great, I can book my flight. Right. No, you're not going to get right. that game time. Right. So I'm just begging and praying, please don't be a night game. Right. Because if it's a night game, I don't dare to draw or to fly on a Sunday morning from New Orleans to Jacksonville because I've flown in and out of New Orleans often enough to know that service there is very sketchy. They don't have a lot of airlines. Flights frequently get canceled. You got weather. So I knew I got to drive that game. It's like an eight-hour drive. Uh -huh. um, and fortunately, it was a day game. It wasn't noon. It was like 3.30 or something. So I was able to hit the road and, you know, driving all night to right. be there the next day. But you know, that's not ideal. <laughs> you know, I mean, you want to be alert and well-rested by kickoff on Sunday. Sometimes that's just not possible. Right. So, yeah, a couple times a year, 
my plans are going to be something along those lines. You told me a story off the air about uh, like being in East Carolina and then having to go to Denver, yeah. and, and, and that was just part of the trip. Yeah, so that was the weekend before Thanksgiving. The University of Cincinnati played a Saturday noon game at East Carolina, which is in Greenville, North Carolina. Not a lot of uh, airline service out of Greenville. Right. I think they have one flight that goes to Charlotte every wow. day. Wow, okay. So... Uh, The next day, the Bengals were in Denver. One o'clock game, Cincinnati time in Denver, so three o'clock Denver time. So I do this noon game at East Carolina. I take the one flight from Charlotte, or from, I'm sorry, from Greenville to Charlotte, Mm -hmm. get to Charlotte, have a long layover, finally fly late that night to Denver, arrive at like 2.30 in the morning, go to my hotel, key to the room doesn't work. (laughs) <laughs> proving my theory that the later you arrive, it never works. Catch a few hours sleep, do the Bengals-Broncos game. Fortunately, they won, so that was great. Right. Go to the airport, long layover, catch a red eye that left five minutes to midnight to Miami. <laughs> arrive in Miami at 5.20 a.m. Okay. Go to the Starbucks counter and order a vat. <laughs> uh, wait for five hours at the Miami airport. Fly to the Cayman Islands. where that night the Cincinnati basketball team began a three-day tournament. So Greenville, North Carolina on Saturday, Denver, Colorado on Sunday, the Cayman Islands on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Wow. Well, you do a great job. Thanks. You really do. (laughs) And uh, again, I got to thank you, you know, publicly because my very first baseball job was 1988 with Dan doing the Syracuse Chiefs game, and uh, and I must have been terrible. <laughs> I was too. I think we both were. <laughs> but uh, but you carried me along, yeah. and I really appreciate it's it. It's the most fun summer I ever had. Yeah, we It'll did. never be topped. We did have a great time. We did. Yeah, we, re- we really did. Yeah. Team our, sucked. Our but... radio station was powered by a hamster yeah. on a wheel. No, you couldn't hear our yeah. radio station. At the stadium, you could yeah. not hear the games. Yeah, when we went to nighttime power... Uh, you know, the whole third base grandstand. <laughs> the know? guy back at the station loved us, though. <laughs> he thought yeah. we were really entertaining. Yeah. Our one listener. All right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and like, I remember the first month of the season, it never got up to 40 degrees. So I mean, we're freezing and there's like 28 people in the stands yeah. there. And, um, after my first month, the president of the team, Tech Simone said, uh, okay, Kenny, um, you know, why don't you come into my office and, uh, you know, critique you for the first month. And I think, oh, oh God. <laughs> That's going to be fun. <laughs> oh, God. This is going to be terrible. So I sit down and he goes, uh, well, Kenny, um, don't, don't give the attendance. Don't give the attendance. I mean, if, you know, there's only like a few hundred people, you know, don't, don't give the attendance. I said, okay, fine. I won't give the attendance. What else? He goes, That's it. <laughs> well, so I, I had the Tech Simone meeting early in my tenure there. I was there for a couple of years before you arrived. So he calls me into the office about a month into my first season, and he's, his constructive criticism to me was it is never cold at the ballpark. Excuse me, it was, you know, <laughs> nine degrees last night. What do you mean? He's like, no, you are never to say that it's cold. Never use the word cold. You can advise the fans to bring jackets. Uh-huh. You can say bring a blanket if you want to. 
but I don't ever want to hear my you partner use the is word. suffering from hypothermia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's frostbite night. Yeah, but uh, never use the word cold. And that was the only really constructive criticism he ever gave me. Yeah, we we did have a good time. Well, good luck to the uh, Bengals next year. Thanks. We'll take it. <laughs> and to the uh, Bearcats basketball team. And, uh, you know, you can also listen to Dan. Uh, he's on WLW in Cincinnati, which is like a monster radio station. And so all through the year you do talk shows and yeah. that, that type of thing. So you stay pretty active. Yeah, WLW on a clear night can be heard in 38 states. I've picked it up here in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's an incredible yeah credible yeah. signal. So my parents spend several winter months in Florida and if they're in their car after dinner, well, let's flick it on. Maybe he's on tonight. And yeah. sure enough, it might be a game. So Fantastic. that's pretty cool. Dan, thanks very much for the Dan, visit. This was great. Enjoyed it. Okay. I don't have anything to give you. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> That will do it for this episode of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, and Randy Thomas, and to Dan Horde, the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals, and maybe he'll get into the playoffs next year or the year after, whatever. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me for any reason, easy to do. I have an email address, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Again, that's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. You can always follow me on Twitter, at Ken Levine, and I will see you next week with more right here. Bye-bye. Hollywood. <laughs>